0: The other day, the other day someone used the expression, in my wheelhouse, you know, which an expression I'd heard a, a thousand times before, mostly, well, originally, I guess, like in the context of baseball at bats, but, but now it's common elsewhere as well to refer to someone's area of expertise. And, and just when they said it, you know, all of a sudden I got curious about the origin of that expression, in my wheelhouse, and so it, I looked it up cuz probably you know 25% of the time of my time spent on Google is looking up things like that that's what I like to do but it's sort of but so I looked it up and not surprisingly uh it's a nautical phrase that and it's because there are tons of common expressions that are that are nautical in origin, things like tow the line, taken aback, pipe down, and others. They're all nautical in or- origin. But I looked up in my wheelhouse, and that refers to the, the small covered part of a bridge on a ship, particularly ships in the 1800s, you know that housed, you guessed it, the steering wheel, or the ship's wheel. And they, and everything inside the wheelhouse was the purview of the pilot of the boat. The captain would, may have overall command, but the pilot was in charge of everything in the wheelhouse and the actual steering of the boat. And, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm something of a nerd when it comes to to expressions and origins of things and the etymology of words and stuff like that. And, and I want to know where they come from because I think it gives us insight, you know, into a world, like boats, or an era like the 1800s that I don't know anything about, but I also think it brings clarity to what we're saying. And that's what I like about it. It brings clarity and it broadens our understanding of something. And so in the gospel today, I think we have an expression that is worth clarifying a bit. John the Baptist says about Jesus today, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Lamb of God is something we use all the time. It's an expression we, we say an awful lot at Mass. You know, we said it as part of the Gloria at the beginning of the Mass. You know, we said, Lord God, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. In a little bit, during the communion rite, three times we're going to sing, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And right after that, I'll show everyone the consecrated host, and I'll say, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. So obviously, those words of of John the Baptist are central to the liturgy to what we do here at Mass. And they're central to our understanding of who Christ is for us. And yet because we use Lamb of God so often, I think we have a tendency to to gloss over the, the, the expression or to forget the depth of the meaning that those words contain and the power of the imagery it contains. Or it conveys, rather. So let's look at this idea, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world and see if we can't restore some of its power and meaning for us. You know, lambs were one of the traditional sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. And and John the Baptist's father, John the Baptist says those words, his father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple and would have made those sacrifices. But the origin of this sacrificial lamb for the Jewish people goes even further back than that. It begins at Passover. Now, if you've ever been invited to a Passover meal, they probably aren't going to be serving lamb not nowadays. I don't know why. But, but they don't serve lamb anymore. You know, they'll serve brisket and latkes and matzo ball. And, but, but at the original Passover, lamb was the central part of the meal, was essential to it at the original Passover. And you may or may not remember the story of the, the Hebrew people being delivered from slavery in Egypt. But about 1,500 years before Jesus... God sends Moses to free his people from slavery. And there are are a series of plagues that, that befall the Egyptians in an effort to get Pharaoh to free the Hebrew people. The tenth and the final plague was this horrible plague that every firstborn male in Egypt would die. Not just the people, but livestock as well. Every firstborn male would die. And so Moses tells his people to get packed and ready to flee, but to avoid the plague touching their homes, they were to sacrifice a lamb and place the blood of that lamb on their door. That way, the plague would pass over their home. Hence the name Passover. And this terrible plague affects all of Egypt, except those who put that blood of the lamb on their door. And and it's then, finally, that Pharaoh sets the Hebrew slaves free. And in fact, he expels them from Egypt. And that's why they end up in the desert, making their way through the desert to eventually the promised land. That sacrificial lamb takes on an important meaning from that point forward for the Jewish people. And it isn't simply an offering to God, just like any other offering to God that they make. The sacrificial lamb has has a redemptive quality to it as well, meaning that they're, they're spared from death by the blood of the lamb. And at the same time, they're freed from oppression and slavery because of that same lamb. So the imagery of the sacrificial lamb pervades all of Judaism throughout the centuries. It can be found all over the Old Testament in the Bible as well. And so it's in this context, knowing this, knowing fully what that means, saying the lamb of God. It's in this context that John the Baptist calls Jesus the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John the Baptist may not know the full extent of what that will entail. But he does recognize the Messiah, that the Messiah will have to offer himself, will have to sacrifice himself, so that we can be freed from the consequences of our sin. And so Jesus, who was sinless, is the new Passover lamb. He's killed because of our sin and he offers to pay the price for those sins himself when he gets up on that cross. So when we say that he is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, we're saying that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice offered by God and to God so that the plague of sin and death might pass over each and every one of us. Or at least the eternal consequences of that sin might be passed over. And that we too might eventually enter the promised land. When we say Lamb of God, we are saying so much about God's immeasurable love for us. That he sent his son to be that lamb. We are saying so much about Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. And we're saying that because of the Lamb of God, we can enter into the kingdom of God, into the promised land. Now John the Baptist is the first to recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God. But he says that he did not know this. He did not know Jesus to be the Lamb of God until the Spirit revealed it to him. So when we say Jesus is the Lamb of God, do we believe it? Is the Holy Spirit in me when I say it? Is the Holy Spirit in me moving me to say with real conviction that Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the consequences of my sin? Do I believe that the promised land, that that eternity with the Father, with Jesus, is something I can now enter into because of the Lamb? And if I'm being honest, when I say Lamb of God, sometimes yes, it is with that spirit. And sometimes no. No. Sometimes they're just words. The Lamb of God is just some words that I say or sing. But sometimes, yes, I am filled with the Spirit. Sometimes I recognize that that truly is who Jesus is for me. Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed with those words. Sometimes I, I start... I, I, I almost... I almost can't get through it saying Lamb of God because I recognize that it's for me that he came, that that Lamb of God was sacrificed for me, that he stripped himself of his glory to become a human being like one of us, that though sinless, he took our sins on the cross with him, and that he did that for me, he did that for you. And in those moments, When I truly am filled with the Spirit and say, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I realize that at that moment, I am being John the Baptist. I am recognizing God in our midst, and you are too. In those moments, in those moments filled with the Spirit together, we are a church full of John the Baptists, and that is something awesome. That is something to celebrate. That is is a reason to come here each and every week, if only to be able to say Lamb of God with conviction. Now, if only we were able to be John the Baptist, not just here for a few moments in church, but if only we were able to be John the Baptist when we go out from this church into the world. Because John the Baptist was the one who announced Jesus' presence. But it was also said of John the Baptist that he made straight the way of the Lord. Make make his path straight, Mark says. Now, I don't need to look up that expression to understand make his path straight. Making his path straight means not only talking about Jesus, about what he's done for me, but also making, helping to make it easier for him to encounter other people as well. Too often, for too many of us, myself included, it's been a circuitous route to encounter Jesus Christ. It's been a circuitous route to understand that he is my Lord and that he came to save me that that sacrifice was for me, that it wasn't just some generic thing that, he, that was done. You know, I, I only became a priest when, when I was 39 years old. That was 13 years ago. And so in that 13 years, I've, I've learned a lot. I've, I've grown a lot as a priest. I think I'm pretty good at it. Really? I was hoping for a reaction. <laughs> But anyway, no. <laughs> anyway, okay, but But how much better would I be at being a priest if I had taken a straighter path to get to God? If I had become a priest at, at say, 25 and was now going on 27 years of experience as a priest? How much better would I be? How much further along? How much more would I have learned? how much closer would I be to God? And, and I know God is able to use all those years, all, those, those, all that time on that circuitous route, that he's able to use all of that. He's able to use that for, for my benefit, for the benefit of others now. Just like he's able to use whatever circuitous route you've been on to get to God. He's able to use all of it. But how much, how much more if I'd found my way to him earlier? So I believe being John the Baptist is about you and me finding ways to straighten that path for others. Ways to make a positive impact on people around us, on being examples of of God's goodness and mercy and compassion to others about working for God's justice and, and his peace and his righteousness while letting people know why you're trying to make their lives better. Why you're trying to build the kingdom. Because Jesus has made your life better and you want to help others to experience that too. The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. Not just you, not just me. Becoming John the Baptist is about letting people know by what we say and what we do, that God is who he says he is. That he is the Lamb of God who came to redeem each and every one of us. Who came to free us from our sins. Becoming John the Baptist is about letting people know by what we say and do that God loves us, that God loves us. And if that isn't in your wheelhouse yet, what are you waiting for?